0: Okay, we are we are continuing a series this morning called Reset. And how many of you guys would like to reset 2020? Anybody in here? Just like, just let's do this year again. Let's start all over again. Uh, And we realize in moments like this that there's so much that is beyond our control. There's so much that we that is happening outside of us uh, that we can't control. Uh, But yet, I think there is a lot that we can control inside of us and how we respond and how uh, we react, uh, how we live in a season like this. And so this series is about uh, being conscious of how we were living in uh, our current world. And if we can't hit reset out there, let's at least hit reset uh, in here, in ourselves, and uh, live the lives that God is calling us to live. And so this morning we're talking about resetting and moving from uniformity to unity. Everybody say that with me, you can say it at home too, uniformity to unity, uniformity to unity. So the uniformity and unity are two different things, and we're going to talk about uh, what the difference is between those things uh, in a minute, uh, but to to build up the story uh, that we're going to look at, we got to do a bit of a background story. So at the beginning of your Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, you, you, he, you'll read this account of creation uh, that God in the beginning created the heavens and the earth, and he, he created uh, everything that we see, he created the animals, he created us, and he created man. It says in, in Genesis 1 uh, 27 28, it says that he created man in the image of God, man and woman in the image of God. And so we were created uh, at the last step of creation. We were, we were distinct and separate from other parts of creation. We were uniquely created in God's image. And we see this, this picture in the beginning of creation uh, where man and god and creation everything was living harmoniously together uh, the hebrews had a word for this called shalom and so shalom is is when uh, there was right relationship between myself or a person and god creation uh, and other other people this four directional harmony and peace that existed at the very beginning of creation this is the way that god intended man was kind of the pinnacle of that creation created in the image of God. Man was different than animals. Uh, and we can think of any animals, but uh, I, I ran into a bunch of cows this last week uh, when I was mountain biking out in Askus Their cows are on the loose everywhere. And uh, my son Luke was mountain biking with me, and he got uh, cow doo-doo all over his mountain bike, and I didn't even notice it until I picked it up to put it on the truck, and it was absolutely everywhere. But uh, cows and humans are different, Right? I mean, we don't just go to the bathroom all over the place. Like, we we actually have hopefully some conscientious idea of where we should do that, right? We're different. We think differently than a cow. Cows have hooves. We have feet. Uh, I guess we could simply say that cows lactose. Lactose. Give you a second there. Okay, and so... You know, cows life, if you think of what a cow does, they just eat and sleep and poop. That's their life. Just over and over again. You know, I don't think cows get up in the morning and be like, man, I wish I could just do something significant with my life. You know, I wish I could, I wish I could just go out and find myself. You know, I have this desire to be more. You know, I don't want to just be ordinary. I want to be legendary that's the last one i promise. Uh, they you know they don't have like this they don't have this desire to be more than they are but yet when you look at humanity there's a drive to be more there's a drive to do more there's a drive to build we were created to create i think that's part of what it means to be made in the image of god we were created to create so god made us in his image he made us to live in right relationship with himself with others to know who we are to live in right relationship with ourselves we could say and to live in right relationship with creation and this is the shalom picture we see at the beginning of scripture we were different uh, than animals we were created to represent god to represent god to the rest of the world and so we know in the story that adam and eve broke this union with god they decided to not to listen to god to to be lord of their own lives so to speak and to uh, and to do things the way they wanted so they ate of the tree that god told them not to eat and then the scripture said that god moved them out of the garden out of that place of shalom and said they moved east. Everybody say east. And so you see this biblical you see this journey at the beginning of the Bible of humanity moving east and in and, and that direction east. It was is kind of a representative word saying moving away from the the way God intended us to live. And so we see that Adam and Eve moved east, and then they had Cain and Abel, and you know, Cain was a murderer, and it's and Cain's punishment, it says was to move east. And it said he, he went and moved into la, the land of Nod. That's what the scriptures say. And do you know what Nod means? It actually means nothing. And so it's like Cain moved into a place of nothing. He went to a place that was uninhabitable. He kept moving away from the, from God's plan for his life, God's plan for humanity. And we see this movement east. And then eventually we get to this story of Noah and the ark. And, uh, and Noah and the ark Basically, God just does hit reset. He's like, I'm gonna reset this thing. Let's start creation again. And he hits the reset button and starts this whole creation process again with Noah and his family. And then that goes south and everything continues to move east. And then we get to Genesis chapter 11 and we have the story of Babel or Babel. Genesis 11. Everybody say Babel. And this is the way this, this is what the story reads. Chapter 11 verse 1. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language. Everybody say same language and use the same words. Everybody's using the same language, same words as the people migrated. Which direction? East. So the people continued to move away from what God had planned for them. The shalom type idea that God had planned for them. They found a plain in the land of Babylonia, which would be present-day Iraq, and they settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. And they said, come, let us build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. The Lord came down to look at the city and the tower, uh, the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united. Everybody say united. The people are united, and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. And that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world, and they stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. Babel. By definition, look at the definition of Babel, and this is what it says, a scene of noisy confusion, a confused noise made by a number of voices. So this is what God did. He saw that they were united. And So if you look up a de- definition of unity, you might see something like this, that unity is the state of being united or joined as a whole. You can unite over anything. You can unite over anything. But I think... Uh, when we look at this, the story of Babel, God was not against their unity. He wasn't against their unity. God wasn't even against them building. Like I said, to be made in the image of God, it means to be made to, cre- made to create. God actually made us with a desire to build, to create. That's part of what it means to be human. God was not against unity. God was not against creativity. God was not against building. But the why behind their unity, why they were united, is what mattered to God. If we pay attention to the text, it says, let us build a great city, this will make us famous. And so we see one of the reasons they united together was because of their desire for fame. They wanted to be famous, they wanted to be powerful. Did you know in a survey done with 10 to 12-year-olds, 10 to 12-year-olds were asked what their biggest goal in life was. You know what their, the number one answer was? Not financial security. That doesn't surprise you. Not achievement. Not relationships. Not, uh, not a career. Their number one goal was simply to be famous. To be famous, to be broadly known, to be accepted, to be respected by other people in the eyes of other people. And you might think, well, I'm not... At 10 to 12, I don't have a problem with wanting to be famous. How many of you are between the ages of 22 and 37? Okay, another survey done, uh, in that age group study showed that 22 to 37-year-olds, that half of them, 50% of them, believe that their lives should be made into a movie. This makes some of you laugh. Uh, The other 50% of you are not laughing because you're disappointed that your life's not being made into a movie. We... We have this desire to be known, to be respected, to be seen as more than maybe what we are. Um, maybe becoming known isn't your thing, but fame and power are both positions of contrast. I want you to think about this for a second, to be famous. Think of the story of Babel, that to become famous. In order to become famous, it means that you would need to be elevated in status or in reputation of Above Somebody else or above others or above another group of people. It's a position of contrast And so although we might not identify specifically with the desire to be famous, I think many of us find uh, unity and motivation to do things uh, Because we want to be contrasted differently from somebody else It's amazing how much in our broken human psyche we, we do this and and I've mentioned this before, but it's worth continuing to mention, especially in a cultural climate that we live in today. One way of doing this is scapegoating. You know, so maybe it's not fame you're after, but, but I want you to pay attention in your life and the world around us how often we create contrast between ourselves and other people or ourselves and other groups of people by scapegoating. If you don't know what scapegoating is, just just rewind your mind back to the playground when you were in elementary school and junior high. Can everybody journey back into their mind? If you're on the playground, and picture yourself on that playground. You know, maybe uh, you weren't the kid that was bullied or made fun of. Maybe you were the kid that's kind of with the crowd of other kids. But there was always one kid or one group of kids that uh, kind of got made fun of or was treated other than. Yes? Maybe you were in that group. That is actually... Uh, what is known as scapegoating. And what happens to scapegoating is, is a, a crowd or a mass of people choose somebody else or a group of others to be less than. And when that happens, it actually gives that mass group of people a cheap form of unity. And in fact, it gives them a, a false sense of security because uh, as long as the As long as they are the object of our wrath and our judgment and our looking down upon, then it's not me. And by that position of that contrast, I am elevated with another group of people and I have security and I have unity. It's cheap unity. So this is the process of scapegoating. And we know if we've actually been paying attention in our world that this isn't something that just happens on the playground. This is something that is happening all around us all the time. Maybe you see it in your workplace. Maybe you see it in your family. Maybe you see it on the news. And it can happen in one-on-one relationships. It can happen uh, with religious groups. It can happen with countries. Scapegoating. Picking a person, a group, a country, whatever uh, form, and choosing to contrast ourselves with that group that gives us a false sense of security and a cheap unity. And so this desire for contrast to create an other, to elevate oneself in the story of Babel was at the core of their motivation to build that tower and to be united. So fame, contrast. The second thing that was motivating uh, this group of people in Genesis 11 was fear. And we talked about fear a lot last week, so I'm not going to spend much time on it here. Uh, But it says that they built this tower... It would keep them from being scattered. It would keep them. They were afraid of being scattered. And so they could come together and, there, and this would keep them. There was, a, there was a sense of security that brought them together because they had a common fear. So we can unite out of a common enemy. We can unite because we it because we're trying to elevate ourselves. We can unite because we have common fears that bring us together. And I believe that God is calling his church to, uh, to be a people of unity, but not at any cost, because we can unite over a bunch of different things. And, and when I think of unity in Scripture, my mind immediately goes to Acts chapter 2, which is often thought of as the birth of the church, referred to as Pentecost. So Jesus died, was resurrected, he told his disciples to wait and pray because. The helper was going to come, the Holy Spirit was going to come, and Acts chapter two is they counted when the Holy Spirit came. Now and I'm going to pick up Acts chapter two and verse one. It says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. And Here we are. I'm going to butcher these, but bear with me. Parthians, Medes, Elamites. People of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Rome both Jews and Converse Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, all together. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about these wonderful things that God has done. They stood there and amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them saying, they're just drunk. That's all. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost story. And what's fascinating, if you pay attention to the story and you pay attention to what God through his spirit did and what he didn't do. So we rewind our way back to Babel. Or back to Babel. And we remember, you know, that God came, that he confused them by bringing in other languages, bringing in differences, the ability not to uh, speak each other's language or understand what the other person was saying. And then we have what I would call this anti-Babble moment in Acts chapter 2, where the people of God are waiting for the helper to come, the Holy Spirit comes. And God brings unity to the church without uniformity. God doesn't come and create one culture. He doesn't come and bring all of the people back into one language. Actually, through the Holy Spirit, he gives them the capacity to speak each other's languages and understand each other's languages. God brings unity in Acts 2 without uniformity. And listen to all of those people that made up that community, the Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, all those, the Mesopotamians, everybody else I mentioned. And what's represented in that group is different economic classes. You know, some of those people were far more wealthy than others. Different religious backgrounds. All sorts of historic differences, religious differences, maybe other differences that we're probably not even aware of in this group, and yet they all come together in this anti-Babel, Acts 2, Pentecost moment. In the New Testament, we have this word that describes the unity of the church, and it's this word uh, koinonia. Everybody say koinonia. Let's try that one more time. I feel like some of you are falling asleep. Uh, say koinonia. There we go. Uh, and koinonia simply means the union that comes from what we hold in common. The union that comes from what we hold in common. And like we mentioned earlier, unity can come from a variety of ways. And why we become united is what God thinks is important. And so we must ask the question, in this koinonia community, in this united community, the birth of the church, what was it that they held in common? I want to suggest three things, and there's more than three things, but just for the purposes of this morning, the first one is that they held in common that Jesus was king, that Jesus was Lord. They were convinced because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, many of the people in, the, in this first church actually saw the physical Jesus in person after his resurrection, which caused them to rethink everything they had already thought. Now, we live in a world, um, and you might have seen this. Uh, maybe some of you have seen the social dilemma, or you've maybe heard of something referred to as the echo tra- chamber. And this is becoming increasingly um, prevalent in our world, where our phones and our computers are actually... Um, Taking the information and feedback we're giving it by what we're searching, by what we're watching, by and, and it gets to know you. I mean, I remember years ago, Lisa and I would be, like, talking about, like, a toaster or something. Uh, and then I would open my phone, and there would be, like, this ad for a toaster. I didn't ever Google toasters, uh, but all of a sudden it's showing up on my phone, right? Anybody had this experience? It used to be subtle, but now it's like, it's just, it's not subtle. It's there like all the time. Uh, and so we have these smartphones, we have these devices that are actually just feeding back to us the things that we want, the things that we search, the way that we think, and it's creating an echo chamber with all the information in the world. We're not becoming more educated, we're actually becoming more naive and more ignorant uh, because we are being fed back the very things that we already think. And when I look at what's going on in the church and Christianity across the world, and particularly in the West, I think that we have lost the capacity to see Jesus as Lord. We almost have this expectation, and maybe we've been conditioned to begin to think this way, uh, that we want to serve a God and follow a God that agrees with me, that thinks like me. And I wonder how much of us have actually... um, had disagreements with God where we've been forced to change our minds about how we think and how we act because Jesus is Lord. We want God to tell us what we want to hear. I hear faith communities right now that are splitting because of differences of opinions over wearing masks or not. I mean, what does it mean for Jesus to be Lord? You know, I, I hear stories in the news about pastors telling church members to go purchase guns because uh, the time is coming where we're going to need guns. What does it mean for Jesus to be Lord? What does Jesus think? The first century church was a church that came and laid their agendas, their perspectives, their opinions, their religious backgrounds, all at the feet of Jesus because they became convinced that Jesus was king and that Jesus was Lord. I look at the stereotyping going on and stereotypes and racisms and everything going on in our our world and, and how... It's so easy to settle for cheap unity. But I believe the unity that God calls us to happens when we all lay down our perspectives and our agendas and our opinions. And we confess together that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King. That was the first, I think, hinge point in the early church that brought all of these different people together. And God didn't take away their differences he actually gave them unity that was beyond their differences. Because Jesus is Lord of lords and King of kings. I think the second thing that, uh, that this common union, this koinonia that brought them together, was that they, they believed that Jesus was Savior. That the, 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 the church is made up of people that understand that they're, that they're broken, that understand that they're in need of saving, that they're in need of grace that look out in the world and say, yes, I understand that there's change that's needed in the world, but recognize that change starts in the heart of the person. You know, G.K. Chesterton uh, was an author, philosopher, and one time he was asked uh, to respond in an essay. Can you write an essay about what's wrong with the world? And his essay was two words long. His answer was, I am. And I believe that the church is made up of people that answer that way that what's wrong with the world is me, that I am sinful, and that I, I'm, I can't expect the world to change without recognizing that I need to change. And because of that, I'm desperate for saving and for grace and to be transformed. And so Jesus was Lord, yes, but Jesus was also Savior. He was forgiver. He was grace giver. And it allowed... All of these people, regardless of the background, regardless of the choices that they have made to actually come and find common union together, coin a need together, because they had all been in need of forgiveness and received it from their Lord Jesus. Then the third reason that I think this coin and need happened, this unity happened that wasn't just cheap unity, was because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Left to our own devices, we as humanity cannot actually create the type of unity that God has called us to. That it's only possible when we're filled with his spirit. His Holy Spirit gave the early church the capacity to see other perspectives, to understand other languages, to speak other languages. And not just in actuality, but I'm using that metaphorically, that, that it, it brought the ability to see the world from other people's perspectives. Without compromising the main thing that Jesus is Lord and Savior, and the, I, I believe that these three things actually brought this church together in koinonia unity. That this is what they had in common, and then as the New Testament unfolds, we see this picture of a New Jerusalem, and, and we can we, we we can hear it described in Revelation chapter seven. It's and um, and this is what it reads in Revelation chapter seven after. This, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude, and this is looking into heaven. and no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So we see this picture, this new Jerusalem, every tribe, tongue, language, united together. How? Why? Well, they were worshiping God. And what are they proclaiming? That salvation, that forgiveness, that grace comes from our God and that he is on the throne, that he is king. And is that posture of surrender to Jesus that brought the early church together. And is that posture of surrender to Jesus is the picture that we see in the New Jerusalem, the heaven that God is actually inviting us to be a part of today. And I've always believed that God is calling us to be uh, some, some kind of foreshadowing of that future type of New Jerusalem, to be a suburb of that New Jerusalem in whatever way that we can. And I would like to just invite you, Son, West, to consider what it means to lay down your agendas, your perspectives in a world that's so polarizing. What it means to first... Recognize that Jesus is king, that our first allegiance isn't, allegiance isn't to a man, to a person, to a country, to a flag, to my family. My first allegiance is actually to a king in a kingdom. And that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What does it mean for us as a church to actually look inward before we look outward and say, you know, what's wrong in the world actually starts with me. And I'm in need of grace and forgiveness, that I have blind spots. Lord, have mercy. What does it mean for us to actually be a community that's dependent on the Holy Spirit and recognize that there's a type of unity, koinonia unity, that God is calling us to that takes the supernatural presence of God through his Spirit in us, living through us, to see happen? Jesus is King. Jesus is Savior, Forgiver. And Jesus actually has given us his Spirit, his Helper, so that we can live in this supernatural type of way. And I don't know about you, but I feel like the world needs that type of supernatural unity and koinonia type of community today. I want to invite you to stand with me. And maybe if you're online or on site, uh, maybe you've never actually made that decision to make Jesus king, to, to, to receive the grace and forgiveness of Jesus, to invite the Holy Spirit to fill your life. And as I pray before we sing this last song together, I would invite you, if you've never taken that step before, to to pray with me. To begin that journey of following Jesus, knowing that he is king and that we are not. To lay your perspectives, your agendas, your opinions down, and to orient your life around Jesus. To receive forgiveness. And to invite his, his Holy Spirit to fill you so that you can live an empowered life Uh, not just someday, but today. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you are king. Lord, we just declare this morning that you are king and that we are not. And Lord, we recognize as we do that that we are in need of forgiveness, that we have broken shalom, that we have moved east that we are not unlike all those stories that we see in the Scriptures. So, Lord, would you forgive us for walking away from you, for hurting others, for having our own agendas and perspectives and opinions that are different than yours. Would you forgive us for our sin where we've missed the mark, that we haven't lived the way you've called us to live? Would you forgive me? And Lord, we thank you that you have not left us alone on this earth, but you have sent your helper. And we invite your spirit, I invite your spirit to fill me. I invite your spirit to fill your church. Lord, may we be people of unity, not just uniformity. Lord, may may we be known by what we're for, not what we're against. And Jesus, we are for you. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank mm-hmm. you.